So the embodiment, the embodied mind, citta, the embodied mind, and uh, these lovely reflections on the potency of the citta to radiate um, uh, in all directions, its qualities, its nature is to radiate qualities of goodwill. Uh, when goodwill meets uh, suffering and conflict, is moved to compassion. When that natural nourishing quality of heartfulness meets that which suffers, it turns, inclines towards protection, towards alleviation of that suffering. Does not uh, turn away from the suffering, does not blame the suffering, does not get agitated by it, but instead opens to sheltering, to protecting, to to even taking on that suffering. When the great heart is able to bear with, to handle, to see that even within the experience of pain and suffering, there is can be a rising up. We're not, you know, then experiences gladness, gladness at the resilience, the potency of the heart to rise to experience nobility, magnanimity, forgiveness, cherishing, even in this world of pain and fragmentation. A beautiful resource. When the great heart recognizes conditioned world is of this nature, up, down, you know, injected with uh, misunderstanding, conflicts, um, division, um, experiences, very wide-reaching heart quality called equanimity. It means bearing the, in presence with the way it is. Maintaining presence with the way it is. Not getting indifferent about it, not shrugging it off, not philosophizing about it. <laughs> uh, just being in present with the way it is in a heartful way. It's only actually we may think, well, what's that going to do with the body anyway? It's actually only the embodied mind that can do this. How is this? Because essentially without embodiment, we get blown away by suffering. We get overexcited by um, happiness. We tend to lose that groundness of equanimity. We love philosophies. We come up with cosmologies of 
divine will or I was like this because of past karma or everything's working out in accordance with you know some karmic thing which well you know maybe but <laughs> uh, this takes us away from the, the 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 reality the edge the pragmatic felt edge of of experience only the embodied mind can stand can bear with felt experience and allow the felt experience to arise be sensed be held be grounded felt not proliferated around uh, not moved away from not abstracted from therefore it is released the mind which is not uh, fully embodied will tend to uh, go up and down powerful emotional surges up and down and uh, run out and abstract we 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 think about we we uh, we form ideas about ourselves and others and the world, and the really telling where you really know this, where you really get this, is when you try to or consider encompassing yourself with goodwill with compassion, with gladness, and with equanimity. This is really the the litmus test. If you can experience yourself in that way, then, yeah. And there's a catch there. There's a catch there. A challenge there. Who is yourself? <laughs> Which one are you? Which one are you? Can you experience yourself? You know, very, uh, the process of, uh, of consciousness. Mm. Uh, is it really because in essence there's only experience? There isn't somebody experiencing things, there's experience. Experience is unfolding and happening according to causes and conditions and forces and energies and so forth. There's experience is unfolding and happening in consciousness. And within that experience, part of the experience of consciousness is to differentiate. Says that's a sight, that's a sound. Because of that sight out there, there's a seer seeing it. There's there's the seen, there's the seer, and there's the seeing. It does that. It differentiates. That's what consciousness does. It's kind of handy that way. It does that. Does that, of course, with all the sense bases. It differentiates also most profoundly in terms of the mind base. Hmm? 
the mind base says consciousness and wisdom arise in the same place, which is the ability to differentiate. This is not so good, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does that. And uh, that's, its, that's its ability to differentiate, to distinguish. And that is part of experience. That's what the human birth provides in, to a high degree. Other creatures also have it. Yeah. We have it to a very high degree, refined degree, because of also we differentiate in terms of social uh, experience. What's socially acceptable, agreeable, suitable, rude, offensive? What's that? Yeah. It differentiates in those terms. Get trained to get differentiated in those terms. When you're one year old, you don't you don't have that. Yeah. And gradually that becomes very significant. Yeah. Now the differentiation process uh, as it as it forms and as it as it develops generates has this ability to get the idea of myself. Like uh, because uh, if I want to, f- if it is the need to to sort of fit socially with other human beings, I've got to say, well, I'm like this, and I sh- and how do other people see me? In some ways, I've got to, you know, hypothesize how other people see me, how other people sense me, yeah. either immediate people or imaginary people. How other people could sense me as agreeable, disagreeable, attractive, unattractive, stupid, wise, cool, polite, whatever. Yeah. So there's, there's, but we don't actually know how they see me because we don't know what what's going on in their heads, but they might. So therefore, we think you better make sure you get it right because you know <laughs> you might be getting it wrong somewhere and. Actually, they haven't told you yet, but they will, big time, one day. Yeah. And occasionally they do. You know, oh dear. So we sort of hold our, one of the differentiated experiences, it develops, crystallizes the sense of a virtual entity who we sense we are, who's really a reflection of how we sense we are with others, except the others are kind of anonymous. Because there's a, there's a large number of them. It's not just one person. It's everybody. Uh, yeah. And it's even, and then the traces of, uh, of people who've passed away, who, who saw us in a certain way or responded to this in a certain way. So we have that, I'm one of these. I'm a bad boy. I'm a naughty girl. I'm a dependent narcissistic, feeble, pathetic, you know, need to do better, whatever, you know, those kind of things, and recognize what is a load of social contact about, you know, when we get beyond the immediate free free deal of being one year old, when really, you know, it's totally cool. You can poop anywhere and they don't mind. <laughs> And how long does that last, you know? (laughs) (laughs) The good times are over pretty soon. (laughs) 
And then it, the grades start coming in. Five, is it? Three, five. Uh, you know, first of all, the kind of social, acceptable, scoldings and, you know, public shamings. <laughs> and then the grades. And, you know, you've got to make those grades. Otherwise, you're not good enough. So this very strong imprint it gets established. And, of course, those grades not just school grades, they're all kinds of grades, strong enough, pretty enough, smart enough, cute enough, wise enough, happy enough, whatever, you know, all those. And so there's a lot lot of um, social exams to pass. Uh, And, you know, it gets, you, you kind of flunk a few. So that's who you are. That's who you are. You're the being who has to make the grade on many levels and you flunk a few because you don't know exactly what the pass mark is and you don't know who's judging it. So to be, make sure you get it right, you better get a judge inside your head who's always with you, who sets extremely high grades, there's a chance you won't flunk so many. So you get one of these judges inside your head <laughs> all the time, who's saying, no, 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 yeah. oh, no, 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 yeah. One of those things, yeah. So this is where the differentiation process gets starts to get pretty, pretty uh, um, weird, yeah. There's this virtual being judging another virtual being. Neither of whom really have a three-dimensional reality, but they carry enormous emotional potency and significance. And they will often be the main drivers of one's life. And it needn't necessarily be that grim, but sometimes it can indeed be pretty dire. Mm-hmm. So, because we don't quite know what the grade, the high, the best grade is, but to be on the safe side, we better keep raising the bar to make sure we don't, you know, you know get up, get up there. We don't really know what that is, but we just we need to keep raising the level. Mm-hmm. And we can, of course, as human beings, we can have great ideas, abstract ideas of the best. And we like those ideas some for some reason or other. Uh, we like those ideas of the best, the perfect, and nobody is it. We have a kind of glittering... Glow. If one was the best, then one would be free of of this sadness and blame and feeling dog-eared and not quite good enough. So, but nobody ever quite gets there. I suppose one or two might get there. Be care, don't ever go anywhere near them. They must be psychopaths, <laughs> <laughs> or not profoundly narcissistic. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> Yeah. So, 
Yeah, there's a generation, the creation of this uh, divided self. And around that, on, on that split, all kinds of values and ideals get placed, and including, you know, of course, spiritual ideals, meditation ideals, ideals of loving kindness. You've got to be kinder, more goodwill, don't ever have a nasty thought, and so on. You know? So around, around that crack, whatever you place on that crack, it cracks and you, you get the, the butt end of it. Whatever you place on that, it will do that. It's like a, a kind of a cracking. Uh, and uh, until that crack is, is healed, there will be no peace, no realization, no fruition, no rest, no, hap- no deep, refreshing happiness and ease. And we will be hobbled from the potential that we, the one has. And we'll be limping with the weight of that. Therefore, what's the way out? Well, in simple terms, the ceasing of that, what we call proliferation or papancha. Papancha is this uh, kind of an energy a movement that operates within differentiation, consciousness differentiates, it actually creates out of what we could say is a seamless experience. It's seamless, it ranges from, you know, seen, seer, seeing, seen, seer, seeing. How could they ever be separate? How could there be a scene? without seeing? How could there be seeing without a seer? How could you have a seer who doesn't see things? <laughs> they would not be a seer, would they? How could there be a scene without, some, without something to see it, do the seeing, right? So there cannot possibly really be a cutoff between the apparent object and the apparent subject, can there? What kind of seer could there be who doesn't see anything? <laughs> so a seer requires a scene and a seeing. So these three aspects, the scene, the object, the seer, the subject, and the seeing, the conscious, the act of consciousness, are mutually, they're inseparable. Isn't that great? Now, you know, so let me take the other sense base, the same, obviously, and with the mind. How there could there be a conceiving without something to conceive? And the experience of that which does the conceiving. So these are actually in- inseparable. Now with Papancha what happens is a split in that the seer or the conceiver becomes separate, does not understand, does not emotionally empathize, does not feel part of that which is conceived, or seen, or heard. It's out there, it's an object. It's something out there. Right? Whenever, now certainly, you know, one can say, well, you know, that was not a skillful action I did then, that that was unskillful. 
that was blameworthy, that was beautiful, that was regrettable. You know, we can differentiate skillful, unskillful, conceiving, mental activities of this way or that way. Now, when the cut occurs, I am unskillful. I am. The cut occurs, and then in that I am, because it's cut off, becomes a, a, an object and the sense of the mutability, the flowingness, the conditionality of it is not apprehended. You know, this may be complex, but essentially when conditions flow from there's the impulse, arising, action, unskillful action, arises, passes, there's acknowledgement of that, aha, uh-huh. learning, that was not skillful, sense of regret, okay, right, don't do that again, um, pass on, you know, that was that was the movement of that, there was a skillful action, conditions arose, uh, were participated in, there's a happy result, feeling of, of satisfaction, pleasure, moves on, you yeah? It, it flows like that. Yeah? And when there's a cut off, I am good, I am bad, I am desirable, I am useful, I'm a good person, people like me, this is what I am. Hmm? And of course the converse. And in that process of the cracking, the breaking into a separate object, what is hy- hypothesized is other people. Now, of course, we could say, yes, there are other people. But they're not living in my head. There's nobody in here. So we're all those kind of things going, jab, 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 jab. Who's that? And we think, you know, virtual people. Remember, I bet she thinks this about me. Yeah. Uh, Maybe she did at one time, but she's not permanently there. Like the person you offended five years ago is not actually sitting inside your heart still complaining about it. Who is? You are. <laughs> or that, that split is. We haven't been able to actually say, oh, that was a, unskillful, that was unfortunate. Felt like this. And is received, move. Now what does that? What allows that process to be felt, be apprehended, be acknowledged, be sensed, be held? This is embodiment. There's a basis there of embodiment. When I say embodiment, I don't mean your knees or your ears. I mean the sense of a grounded presence, the texture of embodiment, something grounded. Something that's connected to nature. Something we talk more about that you know, embodiment. Mm. It's the basis. Without embodiment, the, the chitta flies around looking for something to land on to feel stable. And what it generally looks for is a good opinion about myself. And it doesn't last very long. Those good opinions about myself because. Uh, you know, what self? Hmm? 
we can have an appreciation of skillful conditions, skillful results, of skillful karma. Oh, that was beautiful. That was quite beautiful. Mm. That had good results, had good long-reaching results, had some immediate results, so, yeah. Then, yeah, that's true. Soon as a person is created, in that becomes an object, and in that object we lose empathy. There isn't a flow of, of empathy, there isn't the understanding, it doesn't allow it to move and change. So we get these frozen objects, and many of them, you know, called myself and other people. Uh, aspects of, this is papancha. So it's, you, to have a good opinion about yourself really is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry about it because it's, it's not that you can't feel good, it's just that well, as soon as you create yourself as an object, if you've got a good opinion about yourself in that sense, you're probably slightly deluded. <laughs> you know, if you really take that literally. Who are you talking about? Talking about an action, or a mood, or an emotion, or an event. That's what you're talking about. Fine, great. That was caused and condition, it was a gift. Good energy flowed through, that was, that was a given. That's beautiful. How lovely. It moves on. Truly our life is a gift. Not to be claimed or owned, but treasured and enjoyed and shared, not hoarded, not stored up, not made a trophy out of, but shared, then it then its richness continues to be rich and growing. It's uh, the dissonances and the discomforts and the ignorance in our experience is to be acknowledged, seen, understood, released. Then the release of that also is for the welfare of others. It flows on. It doesn't, you don't hoard, you can't store up release. <laughs> you can't get hold of non-grasping. But it, it empties and it continues to empty and touch and be shared with others. This is, this is the way it is. It's no container for this boundless mind. When there's an object, when we create ourselves as an object, we actually put a container, put it, put it that experience into a box, either a trash can or a glass case. This is, this is the process called tanha, craving. That's the first aspect of, of papancha. The energy of it is the craving to be something, the craving to become, the craving to put experience into a box. Mm to somehow abstract from the flow of experience and create a box or two. Yeah. We come out of the flow, or the mind rises out of the flow through this tanha, craving, and cuts 
seals off an experience, calls it mine, myself. Tanha ditti, you know, mine, has a view about it. Conceit creates a sense of self out of it. These three aspects, tanha ditti mana, tanha, the thirst to become something, to become a desirable, worthwhile, useful, interesting object. Yeah. And just when you, you know, though this is putting this very kind of particular language, but if you do some riffs on that one, yeah. To what extent do you sense yourself as being a desirable person? Either physically desirable, psychologically desirable, intellectually desirable. How much, how, to what extent do you consider yourself to be an interesting, attractive person who others would really like to be with and get towards and so on? How much, to what extent does that happen for you? Or do you experience yourself sometimes uh, being, you know, not that desirable, really? Um, Kind of okay, manageable, doing the best you can, uh, and so on. And sometimes extremely undesirable. (laughs) You know, physically don't look that good. You know, not that bright. Uh, not that enlightened. Uh, can't really meditate very well. Um, you know, sort of ordinary is best, but probably not not particularly desirable. And people can really wind themselves up around that, trying to be um, some particular object who is experienced as worthy because they are desirable in some way or another. And the uh, misfit is that you cannot become worthy by being an object of desire. Because mm-hmm. desire makes you to an object that's perilous. You've got to sustain that object. You've got to keep it going. It cannot keep going. It's changeable. Experience flows and changes. You cannot constantly be desirable, interesting, useful, worthwhile in that sense of object. You go up, it goes up and down. There are the highs and the lows. There's the changing. There's the body aging. There's bits going out of shape. (laughs) Or going to the wrong shapes. There's memory loss, there's getting the facts wrong, there's forgetting, not being able to read the map, there's the bad handwriting, there's the, you know, you name it. It's sort of like, like that, isn't it? It's always some, some aspect of that is, is, is does that. Things break up. And naturally, of course, things can come into the good again. That's the flow. But Desire wants a distinct object to hold on to, doesn't it? Desire 
does not want something that's good one minute and not so good the next minute. It wants something that's good all the time. <laughs> you can't desire something that's kind of quite good and then not so good and then downright rotten and then comes not bad again and then you don't want to desire that, do you? But that's what reality is. <laughs> that's what experience is, isn't it? It's like that, isn't it? Cold, warm, too hot, pleasant, interesting, boring, painful, pleasant, neutral. Isn't it like that? So what, what, how can, how does desire work on that? How can it create anything that is, is a reality that you can feel a sense of value in, in that? You, you know, no, we may understand it's intellectually, you know, you, but you just recognize how this longing for feeling of fulfillment or worth through some particular experience that I have that's mine, that I am, my heart, my soul, my body, my whatever, you know, I'm a good monk, I'm a great teacher, I'm a this or that or the other, and, and mm, fragile changeable mm, and trying to keep it going definitely stressful and somebody's going to say yeah but he's not as good as so and so (laughs) (laughs) so how can we ever find fulfillment as being an object of desire because it, desire can't can't actually handle reality reality is subjective it's felt it changes it shifts judgments are matters of opinion come and go you know she she looks nice to me but the other person doesn't think so that's so you know i like my coffee like this he doesn't Mm, so it's all subjective there are no objects there are no objects there's just subjects (laughs) the subjectivity which feels subjectivity which feels and it constantly in change desire creates objects tries to create objects, totters around creating objects, grips trying to create objects, stresses trying to create an object, and weighs us down with it. Tanha. We think tanha is an absence of something. Actually, it's the presence of something. We think that craving sense is because something's lacking. It's not because something's lacking. You can tip anything you like into that hole, it will not fill up. You can tip motorbikes, you can tip yachts, you can tip houses, you can tip billion dollars into that hole, it will not fill up because it's not a hole. (laughs) Otherwise you could fill it. (laughs) It's not a hole, it's actually a lump. So the more things you stick on it, the bigger it gets. <laughs> right? And it's a kind of, f- f- it's an energy. 
a powerful energy of like a presence of something that's always uh, creating boxes, creating objects. It's a very powerful energy, not an absence, but a presence of something confused, not understanding reality, creating objects. Bhava tanha, to create oneself as an object in space or in time. This is stressful. Precarious, it's insecure, and in reality, it's just not true. It's just not true. You might think, well, you to not true. I'm sitting here, here I'm sitting here, I'm definitely located in space, sitting right here. Okay. Yeah. What do you call that space? Would you call it California? No, I wouldn't really call it that. Is it Casadero? Well, not really, it's just this space. Okay, so how, if there's space that's got no particular location, and you're located in a space that has no location, right? Is that a location? When you move out the door, does your space go with you? Yeah, so what space are you located in? Um, You're implicated in embodiment. That's not in California, or Casadero, or on the moon, right? You're located in the experience of being alive. That doesn't have a... So, yeah? Is that true? Do you have any other location, really? So, where's that? It's everywhere, isn't it? Wherever you go, there it is. Isn't that true? Wherever you go, there you are (laughs) in your space. Isn't that your location? So, in a way, because the location is anonymous and universal, it's it's no location. It's presence. And you think you live in time? Which, which, Which time? Seven o'clock, nine o'clock, Thursday. Uh, Time that ticks away, second by second. You live in that. Mm. How long is pleasure? Short. How long is pain? Very long. (laughs) Wow, time did some interesting things there, didn't it? You know. (laughs) When you sleep, how long do you sleep for? When you look at the clock, that tells you. But do you know? No. You sleep. We infer time when we create instruments that do that kind of thing. But we don't live in time. As you know, when you do a retreat, what seemed to have happened a month ago is suddenly there, poignant. Hmm? How come? How come it's so poignant what happened apparently a month ago, a year ago? You don't live in time, you live in karma. Karma is your place. Memories, potencies that have affected you. If you live anywhere, that's where you live. And those potencies and effects are not tethered yesterday or five years ago. They're tethered, they're connected to your heart, 
and they are measured in terms of the intensity of feeling and perceptions that arise that's not time that's a here and now experiencing we don't we're not some kind of separate being historically historical being aging we're heart with chitta experiencing karma in terms of feelings perceptions which are the past karma impulses and aspirations which are the new karma that's where we live wherever you go there it is any time of day or night there it is manifold multifaceted there it is and so our response is wherever, however, whenever this is something there has to be an apprehension of a clearing of uh, a clearing of the sorrow regret we cannot do that by abstracting ourselves from it we cannot do that by standing back and saying I should be, I mustn't be I wish I was, I wish I hadn't she was, he was, they were, I wish they were why was they? Why were they? How will they? We cannot do it like that. Because that's we're lifting. The mind is abstracting from the direct experience and creating boxes. You cannot resolve things that way. Because we're not directly handling the experience. Hmm? Now, how do we handle experience? We get embodied. Hmm? get the the embodiment embodiment is not subject to desire it's what's given it's the given of this being, this birth jitta arises embodied that's the given you cannot decide it's not desirable or undesirable. It's what is. It arises embodied in this. Mm. It's connected to feeling. It's connected to energies that happen on a bodily basis. And the Buddha is saying it's within this experience, with its strange movements and perturbances and irregularities somehow within this there is liberation there's the release from this not abstracting from it but entering into it the descent into this and sometimes that descent is of various kinds when you descend into the wreckage it's the great compassion but it must, we must yeah, accomplish that to liberate and forming abstractions about self and others is not going to do it it's, it's always separating and of course the particularly significant one the most pertinent and potent object is the object called myself whenever that arises. What's really happening when that arises? 
what happens when that arises, when that experience arises. You sit down and then, all oh, right, I'm, I'm, I should try and meditate now. I'm watching, I'm watching what's going, watching my body, my body, my breath. How am I doing this? Oh no, here we go. Here we go. Another hour of trying to get it together. Jeez. God, I was doing all right before that happened. The self-consciousness lifts off and immediately we've got some standard of this is what we should be doing as meditators, this is what we should be experiencing. The whole script arises around that. So say so sometimes say to people, well, just please don't meditate, it's bad for you. You know, it's um <laughs> you know, you're quite you're quite kind of happy and, and lovable without that. Because <laughs> 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 this the sense of the, the abstracting can occur in that process and along with it comes the standards, the grades, the you know the system that we should try to succeed at. Success. Bawa. Tanha. Success. And along with it, failure. Just like the sun and the moon. Can I have one without the other? Now if you come into the body, there's no success. There's no failure, there's pleasure, there's pain. Yeah. There's no none of that. There's no success in a body. There's no failure in a body. There's pleasure. There's pain. There's agitation. There's restlessness maybe. There's no no success. No failure. No grades. No self. It's just this. This is a kind of fundamental given, I would say, the fundamental gift to get very resolved around. Call it the ground. Safety. The ground. Very simple. So simple that sometimes our our conditioned habits just gloss over it, or, or so what, or what happens next, or where do we go from here, you know, or well, what's that mean anyway, you know? Okay, feel all those energies arising, and uh-huh, what's happening? And can we breathe out and return? Just to begin to dismantle some of the uh, narratives and uh, the uh, um, inclinations that the Bawa Tanha brings up. Now, what does happen from groundedness when it's settled in, when it's resolved? when it's deeply appreciated, taken in, felt, sensed, what does arise from that is a quality called empathy. 
a sense of resonating with experience, enjoyment, Um, fellow feeling, sort of a resonance with experience. There's experience and part of experience is now praising, enjoying, sensing that. And really finds itself very much in tune with that. Very much, ah, this is the right tune. This does not create objects. This is not... um, making me into something because actually this resonance now can include this body it can include the experience of others when I look around when I remember when I bring to mind it can include them in fact as it develops it can include everything the all-encompassing world there's some sense of being in participation rather than objectification. This is what can arise from the ground. And it also is something that we could say is sort of involuntary, it's a natural process. The voluntary or the conscious uh, application to that is just to sustain mindfulness, awareness, faith, confidence in it, the right kind of energy to sustain it, gathering, collecting into that, so there's no agitation, no deserving, no progress, it's just resting in it. And it, then it begins to get this sense of like a gentle happiness that shares, that moves around. And everything that is seen in that, remembered in that, conceived in that, sensed in that, is touched by that. It cannot be otherwise. Our hearts cannot do other than share. Really. I mean, when tanha grips hold, they shut. But when there's a release of tanha, they share. Because they're not actually bound up inside a body. They're not bound up inside something in time and space. This is why we can feel deeply touched by people we even hear about, inspired, uh, uh, moved, uh, saddened, uh, because the heart does not contain inside some self. The self is a kind of constriction that occurs in the citta through this process of tanha. So quite a bit of our practice, you know, puja, delighting, devotion, um, that non-separation from the sacred, participating in the sacred by acting within it, by bowing within it, by bringing our voices into it, by lighting incense to it, by going through these standard records. So our thinking is given to that. We occupy our thinking mind with that. We share with that. Part of our practice is recollecting with gratitude and with appreciation 
those beings who have touched us in a positive way. We bring it all in. Part of it is sharing the goodwill and the kindness and the compassion with any being who rises in our minds or in our sight. It's an animal, human, near or far. Part of our practice is experiencing gladness at the beauty, the resilience, the sacredness of things. Everything is a subject. Everything is a miracle. Everything is just uniquely itself. Isn't that amazing? You know? Everything is subjective. Everything is a feeling subject. A beetle. You know? It's not some pesky little critter running across my floor. That beetle does not experience itself as a pesky little creature running across the floor. (laughs) It experiences itself as probably... I don't know what it does, but <laughs> really, I never haven't been one for a while. But I'm sure it doesn't. It's not my opinion of it. And so, when we see there's this kind of incredible valuing of of sentiency, of a tree. You know, what would you like to be a tree? A redwood, seven hundred years old. Wow, well done, redwood. <laughs> You know, just living on mist and soil. Wow, fantastic. I wish I, you know, it's great. I'm going to chop you down to make some kind of lumber out of you. you know, I don't, I'm not going to see you as an object of desire, craving in that way. This is really the, uh, uh, you know, so you see, when you cultivate this, really, you cultivate this on many levels. In, many ways. This is where the great qualities of of heart can arise. And it arises from really grounding into the body, to the experience of embodiment, and beginning to just dispel the myths. When you experience embodiment, what really is there? Knees? I don't think so. I think there's pain, there's energies, there's heat, mm. yeah. there's movement, there's solidities. Isn't that what it's like? So we be, yeah, and when you touch something, when you're touching something, there's the contact, the touch. There isn't somebody touching something, really, is there? We can infer that. But actually, at that very moment, there's just the touch and the arising of ripples of resonance with that. Isn't that what happens? Really? Of course, you can infer all these other things, and that's reasonable for language, but we don't want to actually reify them into distinct objects because then we become dismissive and disrespectful and even abusive. Just a thing. So the qualities of heart, the boundless heart, the measureless heart, come from this embodiment, truly as it is. And dispelling, putting aside these secondary interpretations, this is our opportunity when we enter retreat, this is our 
wonderful occasion when we enter retreat to touch into reality and it's a loving reality so let's pause on the verbals for a while and uh, if you like to have a loose few moments shake it around Um, we can conclude with a sitting together so take your time you know I'm going to say a few moments could be five minutes could be just just find your time you know know, presence presence isn't going to go anywhere 